JB, all weekend long, I was getting questions from folks, uh, uh, you know, not about my health, but more about your T-shirts. Uh, They're very concerned about your set behind you that, you know, you were having yeah. some problems uh, in our last show. Uh, Technical I, I'm, I'm happy to see that you may have resolved those issues or something. What's going on back there? Yeah, no, I mean, I so I was downstairs and I was trying to not damage the walls. So I was using some painting, you know, electrician tape. And apparently these things weigh a little too much, so they all kept falling down. Now I have this, you know, kind of, um, I don't know, folding whatever it is. And, and you can actually hang the hangers over the edge, so they're not going to fall. Everything is, is in good place. And uh, how about this little add to the collection? Coach Brian Bubna um, gave me a uh, helmet from the MIT engineers. It was my first uh, week one home game that I got to attend in person since our... Uh, 2018 um, you know, live show at Brockport. I don't get out as much, but it was really fun. And I was actually treated to an excellent football game that came down to the final minutes of the fourth quarter. I mean, I know that there were some bigger top 25 matchups, this and that and the other thing, but I was thoroughly entertained, had a great time watching Bridgewater and MIT go at it out there in Cambridge, Mass. And I got a cool helmet out of it. No kidding. I, I haven't got a helmet in a long time. I, I mean, I, I have the uh, Brevard uh, yeah. one from a couple of years ago, but uh, I, I've got the Union College one from uh, John Audino's uh, days, uh, but mm -hmm. uh, I think that's it. Or, or, am I forgetting one? I feel like I've got one more and I, I'm, I'm going to be in trouble for saying that. We've got some, but, mini, we got some mini helmets. I know we've got some mini helmets. Yeah. Norwich sent us one, J Grove City. I think you still have my Grove City mini helmet, by the way. I, I'm when I see you in, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be coming for it. <laughs> coming at you. Uh, but, no, uh, we appreciate all the swag that we get. I've got to actually still redo the back of my wall here uh, and uh, get things looking different. Uh, I've got a couple of ideas I've been trying to work on for two years. Uh, you can see how well that's been going. But, look, yeah. week one in the books, we got a lot to talk about because we learned some stuff, I think, and maybe not some other stuff that we were hoping to learn. That's the way it goes here in Division Three. sometimes. Nonetheless, you're watching Season 16 of In the Huddle. JB, as uh, we said, uh, basically uh, a very interesting set of games uh, that we had on Saturday. Some upsets, some not so upsets, uh, but really yeah. good to see some quality competition in, in week one, starting with that Rowan Stevenson game that we left you guys on on Thursday evening. <laughs> yeah. That thing was exciting. Uh, and then, you know, going all the way through to – uh, you know, stuff going on on Saturday evening. The Barry game was an interesting uh, affair, to say the least. Uh, it, it was a good weekend of college football, and I, I'm just glad that we were able to take part in at least a couple of those games. You at MIT, me at Johns Hopkins. Got to see our old friend Ryan Stevens. Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit more on that later, but... Nice. Your 30,000-foot view. I, I, later on, we're going to have a little bit of a segment called What Did We Learn? Uh, in week one, 
uh, a little bit of a mini segment we'll start doing because I, I think a lot of people watch our show to sort of try to make heads or tails of what's going on in this division. And uh, right now we'll give you a little tease of that. Here's JB's point of view. Yeah, well, I think this weekend we saw that 23 is definitely going to be different from uh, the 22 season. There were some uh, teams like the Crusaders of Mary Harden Baylor who did not look like themselves from prior seasons. They they have a lot of work to do, um, but still it's only week one. And as everybody knows, the, the key to the playoffs is to win your conference and punch your ticket that way and, and you know be the last team standing come week 15. But there were some other teams that you know made, had some performances that maybe didn't surprise us. I mean, we had um, the River uh, Falls uh, Falcons as high as I think number 12 or 11 in our poll. I felt pretty good about you know that fact after what happened. I mean, you know, we we gave the crew the benefit of the doubt. Didn't pan out. Um, but there were some other. I thought Barry was very surprising in how how much they won by against uh, Huntington, a, a conference championship and playoff team. That was a good pick by you. Um, and actually, you had you you cut caught all the breaks on on the picks for the most part this weekend. So I'm in a little bit of a hole starting off. But otherwise, you know, I think um, you know sometimes in big games, you know. I don't feel like enough was made of the fact that I know he took accountability for it on ATN, but uh, Coach Urban's play calling at the end of the St. John's game grabbed defeat from the jaws of victory. That was not on the Tigers players. That's not on Tucker Horn. That was on the coaching staff for not putting their team in, in a position to win. The Johnnies should not have won that game, in my opinion. Hey, credit to them that they came back, um, but that was a really, um, you know, I guess they call it Johnny Magic. I just think that you know the Tigers just made you know, a couple of mental mistakes down the line that gave the Johnnies the game. I think in a rematch, the Tigers win that matchup, whether it's in Minnesota or in Texas. It's just unfortunate that they start off the season with a loss. Um, that team, though, does look like a legitimate national title contender the way they performed at, in week one. Like I said, more on that a little bit later on in the show. But first, I have a lot of notes here. I have a lot of stuff. And you know what that means. It's time for crunch time for week number one of the 2023 Division Three college football season. We will start with Lycoming at Widener, and I'll tell you, uh, this one was an exciting affair to start. Uh, six seconds left first quarter. Sean Thompson gets a five-yard touchdown pass from Chase Steele to make it 14-0 Widener in this game. Then 13.55 left second quarter. Kasim Benson with his 47-yard touchdown run. Lycoming trims the lead of Widener to 14-7 on this long rushing touchdown. Two minutes later, Isaac Hostetter gets this pass from Chase Steele to make it 21-7 for Widener. 21-yard touchdown pass. Made it that 14-point lead. We'll go to the other side of halftime. Two minutes into the third quarter. Again, it's Isaac Hostetter with an 18-yard touchdown pass from Chase Steele. Here, it's 35-14 Widener. Hey, I'm not on repeat. I'm going to tell you that with one minute left in the third quarter, it's Isaac Hostetter. A 21-yard touchdown pass from Chase Steele. Three in a row. The hat trick there for that tandem. 42-21. That's your final in favor of Widener. 
Chase Steele, 29 for 42, 366 yards passing and five passing touchdowns. Widener's offense gained like homing 455 to 271 in total yardage. Then we've got Springfield at Western New England in Region 1. And this is for the pinch and saw. Second quarter, 6.54 left. Craig Connell gets a 26-yard touchdown pass from Jacob Sylvester to make it 9-7 in favor of Springfield. A minute 40 later, it's Western New England's Dylan Cole with a one-yard touchdown run to take the lead back for Western New England, 14-9. Third quarter, 10.22 left. Bradley Barcelo with an 87-yard touchdown pass from Jacob Sylvester. I thought this was a triple option team here in the Springfield team. Well, two passing touchdowns later, it's 15-14 Springfield with the lead. Well, okay, wait, here comes the run I was just kind of alluding to. Fourth quarter, 10-31 left. Dante Vasquez, 58-yard rumbling down the field. I don't know how they didn't take him down three different times in this one. It's 21-14 in favor of Springfield with that heady run by Vasquez. Fourth quarter, 206 left. Blaine Hart, he puts it away. A 53-yard touchdown run for Springfield, 28-14. Your final in favor of the Pride. And in Western, England, Western New England led 14-9 to the half with Jacob Sylvester's 3-for-4 for 160 yards and two passing touchdowns. Rule the day for Springfield. Staying in Region 1, it's Bridgewater State at MIT. And uh, a game you attended, we'll a little bit more on that in a second here. Third quarter, 316 left. Daniel Monaghan with an 18-yard touchdown pass from Chase Harmon made it 27-20 MIT. Fourth quarter, though, 11.34 left. Jack McCarthy gets a 17-yard touchdown pass from James Cahoon. It's 27 apiece here in this game. But it's the Brady Klein show in the fourth quarter. Halfway through it, it's his three-yard touchdown run to make it 34-27 to in favor of MIT. Then 2.43 left. Brady Klein with a two-yard touchdown run and a 41-27 win by MIT. Klein with those two rushing touchdowns. Chase Harmon, 21 for 32, 255 yards and four passing touchdowns. James Cahoon for Bridgewater State, 25 for 46, 340 yards and four passing touchdowns. Finally, in Region 1, Westfield State at Anna Maria. First, what better way to start your season than with a 77-yard kickoff return for a touchdown? Eric Pino says, yes, I will. And yes, he did. 7-0, Anna Maria takes the quick lead 13 seconds into the game. Third quarter, 9.51 left. It's Anna Maria's Harold Beckford with a 75-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Russell. It's 45-14 in favor of the Amcats. And in the fourth quarter, seven minutes left, it's Mark Johnson with a 38-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Russell, making it 51-26. That's Russell's fifth touchdown pass of the game, sixth overall in that 51-26 effort. He went 27 for 44, 424 yards on top of those touchdowns. Jordan Smith, 22 rushes, 122 yards, and one rushing touchdown. That's Region 1 in a nutshell, but there are other scores and other thoughts here coming up from JB. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I don't think we saw any major upsets. There were a couple of surprising games. I mean, maybe we should have looked more closely at the Castleton Plymouth State one, for instance, because that came down to some final um, you know, big plays that, that helped the Spartans hang on for a 25-21 win. But also, otherwise, you know, no real surprise. I mean, Salve Regina winning 48 to nothing caught my attention, Frank. I know that they're one of your teams to watch in the NUMAC. That made a statement. Mass Dartmouth sort of, you know, where they left off, I believe, um, 
Avila Santos set some career and uh, school records as far as you know passing and touchdowns in that game. A 57 to six win over Nichols. Merchant Marine um, Caesar Gonzalez racks up I think almost 300 yards rushing and three touchdowns and a 52 to 35 win over Westcon. Hassan beats Norwich. New UNE over Coast Guard. No real surprises here, Frank, but a very fun slate of first round of uh, Region 1 games in the first week. Then let's go to Region 2. Here's a game that I just wish wasn't played in Week 1. Okay, this, this this isn't the game I would like to have in Week 1. It's like that old FSU Miami situation in the old days when they would waste that ACC Conference rivalry matchup game right off the bat. But nonetheless, we played it, and it was still a very good game, as you would expect from Westminster in Grove City. And let's start here with Ryan Gomez getting a one-yard touchdown run for Westminster five minutes into the game to make it a 7-0 lead for Westminster. Then three minutes left first quarter, Joey Guida with an eight-yard run, uh, making it 7-7, Grove City equalizing there. Then second quarter, 12-27 left, it's Scott Frazier with a 28-yard Passed uh, from Logan Pfeiffer, I believe is actually the correct uh, pronunciation, according to our friend Ryan Briggs. 14-7 in favor of Grove City. At halftime, 17-7 Grove City. And uh, then later on, you'll see Pfeiffer with a 13-yard uh, touchdown, or a 13-yard pass, excuse me, to Fraser to make a third and seven conversion here late in the game. Then later on, it's Flatty with a 10-yard run on third and eight with 2.16 to go. So Grove City played keep away late in this game overall to make sure they won it 17-7 in favor of Grove City. Ryan Gomez with 18 rushes, 68 yards, one rushing touchdown, Nico Flatty. 24 rushes, 114 yards in the game. We'll continue now with Del Valle, Cortland, and you're, you're going to get two firsts on all these touchdowns because of some issues Cortland had uh, video-wise. We end up with a couple different clips for each touchdown, so you're not seeing things twice here, folks. Uh, Cortland's J.J. Lapp uh, gets a score here four minutes into the game from Zach Boys. This 19-yard touchdown pass makes it 7-0 in favor of Cortland. Then four minutes later, Cole Burgess. Boy, these names just keep coming up every year, it feels like. 12-yard touchdown pass from Zach Boys. 14-0, Cortland with the lead. Go to the second quarter, DelVal tries to make it a game. Ryan Laughlin with a 39-yard touchdown pass from Rob McConnell in this case, makes it 21-6 in favor of Cortland. But third quarter, 11-25 left, Jaden Alfano St. John, easy for me to say, with a six-yard touchdown run makes it 28-6 in favor of Cortland. It was all Cortland, 42-13 in favor of the Red Dragons. Jaden Alfano St. John with 27 rushes, 169 yards, one rushing touchdown. Louis Berrios from Del Val, 11 for 19, 85 yards in an interception. The game I attended, Ithaca at Johns Hopkins, a similar ranking battle in this game. Six minutes into the game, it's Josh Polsey with a five-yard touchdown pass from Bay Harvey. Get used to that name. Bay Harvey played well in this game throughout. 7-0 in his first start uh, right there, uh, his first touchdown. Three minutes later, though, it's Julian Demega making a 12-yard touchdown pass come true from A.J. Wingfield to tie the game at 7 apiece. A field goal made it 10-7 Ithaca early in the second quarter. We'll go to the second quarter's 9-19 mark. Cole Crotty, the freshman with a 50-yard, 54-yard touchdown pass from Bay Harvey, makes it 14-10 in favor of Hopkins. Second quarter, 2.30 left. Bay Harvey with this one-yard touchdown run makes it 21-10 in favor of Hopkins. Third quarter will go to, there, there's that Cole Crotty again, 27-yard touchdown pass to Bay Harvey, 27-10 in favor of Hopkins there. 
There was a chance at the end for Ithaca, but Hopkins is able to keep them away defensively. 27-17 in favor of Hopkins. Bay Harvey, 19 for 28, 257 yards, three passing touchdowns and an interception. A.J. Wingfield, 11 for 30, 151 yards, two passing touchdowns. Then we'll go backward to go forward here because we do want to talk about that Thursday night game we were just alluding to, Stevenson at Rowan. Four minutes into the game, uh, you're actually 315 into the game. You saw this if you're watching live with us. It was Eric Bryant with the 18-yard pick six to make it 7-0 in favor of Rowan. Then a minute 52 left, second quarter, Elijah Marquez with a four-yard touchdown run gives Stevenson a chance here, actually the lead 14-10, so they clawed their way back in this game, but right at halftime, Jake, uh, Schick, I think it's Schick uh, from Noah Bernati makes it 17-14 in favor of Rowan at halftime. Third quarter, 554 left, Brody Campbell with his 38-yard field goal makes it 17 apiece. Fourth quarter, 10.58 left, Brody Campbell called on again, this time for a 30-yard field goal. It's 20-17, Stevenson. Rowe would have a chance, but Stevenson with the ball still with a minute 34 left, third and six. Here's a nine-yard gain by Nair Wilson that puts away the game officially for Stevenson. They end up winning this game 20-17. Rowe and special teams missed the field goal in the opening drive. That came back to haunt them. Elijah Marquez for Stevenson, 30 rushes, 112 yards, one rushing touchdown. Region 2, uh, I, I'm surprised by the fact that that Cortland score wasn't closer. I'm surprised by the fact that Johns Hopkins yeah. dominated the way they did. And then from there, JB, what else did you see? Well, you know, I think we saw, um, you know, once again, kind of what we saw in Region 1, uh, sort of the favorites, you know, took care of business. I was impressed by the fact that, you know, Muhlenberg um, put up 53 points in their first game. Um, looks like that Mule's offense is going to be just fine. Um, you know, Repetti is a, is a good quarterback, and, and maybe he had a little extra juice after appearing on our Thursday live show, Frank. He was ready to go. Franklin and Marshall leaks out a close win over Leb Valley, uh, which was an interesting kind of interconference game. Um, Eastern uh, joins Division Three. They they lose, but hey, they um, they're back out there, and uh, it's great to have another team in the mix. Kings wins the Mayor's Cup, which kind of surprised me, Frank. I was I was kind of thinking that Wilkes maybe would be the the team to beat there um, as a potential MAC um, and or landmark um, you know dark horse. RPI takes care of Dickinson. Utica wins in a close call, 20-17 against Rochester. Don't take the, the Yellow Jackets for granted. They're going to be tough. Morrisville State wins, as does Union. And, and Allegheny uh, needs to go to overtime to, to get over on uh, Waynesburg. On the next slide, we've got Keystone beating Gallaudet. Um, Florham uh, hanging on to beat William Patterson by four. Washington Jefferson wins, wins big. Another reason why we had him in our top 25. That's going to be a serious team to deal with in the MAC. Uh, Gettysburg wins their first game. Case Western kind of a lower scoring affair against Teal, which surprised me. And Carnegie Mellon winning 31 to nothing. No surprise there. But look to the right there, those, that happy camper there at the tailgate party. They love you down there in Baltimore. They love the mayor. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, what kind, were they serving crab cakes? What, what was happening there at the, at the Hopkins tailgate, Frank? What don't they serve at the Hopkins tailgate? I mean, Mr. Spivak and company uh, are just uh, do a great job there. And uh, I, I mean, that's the uh, official team bar I was uh, standing at in the tailgate. Uh, once again, <laughs> uh, I did not drink, don't worry. I needed to at least you were standing at that point. Yeah, yeah, it's true. 
but uh, it was good to see Ryan Stevens and uh, everybody uh, else that was there uh, on that day. It was a great day for uh, Hopkins. Uh, obviously, uh, we don't root for teams, but we do root for players, and we root for the fact we want to see uh, you know families and schools have great times around the Division Three experience, and Hopkins does that for sure. It's thanks to them for their hospitality. Let's go to Region 3 at this point, and Birmingham Southern McMurray was a really good Thursday night game. Let's talk about it here, as in the second quarter with a one, with 134 left, A.J. McLemore is a 47-yard touchdown pass from Matt McCleary to give uh, Birmingham Southern a 13-0 lead early in this game. We're going to fast forward here. Fourth quarter, 1436 left. It's Thomas Speed. 83 yards from Matt McClary this time. It's 20 to zero Birmingham Southern. Game's over. You know, just just go home, everybody. It's it's uh, you know, turn out the lights first. Uh, not so fast. McMurray. Three minutes later, Drew Hagler, two-yard touchdown run, makes it 20 to seven in favor of Birmingham Southern. Then 7:34 left. Drew Hagler, a one-yard touchdown run, but a missed extra point makes it 20 to 13. Keep your eye on this one. As 4:22 left. Christopher Martin gets a 21-yard touchdown pass from Joel Hess for McMurray. It's 20-19. The extra point is no good. 2019 still in favor of Birmingham Southern. So you take a look uh, later on, and it's a chance here for McMurray. They get the ball with 232 left, but then it is a fumble by Drew Hagler. And it was forced by Joey Kiernan, recovered by Jet Wilson. That ends the game effectively. Birmingham Southern survives after a 20-0 lead. They win 20-19. And that's, again, with 14-36 left, they had that 20-0 lead. Matt McCleary from Birmingham Southern, 17 for 30. 301 yards, two passing touchdowns. Drew Hagler for McMurray, two rushing touchdowns. Huntington at Barry. This has played out really, really differently from how a lot of people assumed it would, and here it goes. First off, though, Barry with Josh Rogers getting a 25-yard touchdown run 39 seconds into the game for a 7-0 lead. But 13 seconds later, R.J. White finds the house on a 96-yard kickoff return for touchdown 7-7. Special teams plays a huge role throughout this game. You'll see why. 9.35 left first quarter. Josh Rogers, a 61-yard touchdown run, makes it 14-10 in favor of Barry. Huntington's Jacoby Young, though, with a 64-yard pick six, gives his team the lead 17-14 with 7-12 left in the first quarter. My goodness. Second quarter, midway through it, Brandon Cade, with a five-yard touchdown run for Barry, gives his team back the lead for good, 21-20. And I say for good because watch what happens here. First off, two minutes into the third quarter, Nick Palmer with a five-yard Punt return for touchdown officially, 43-20. to And then Barry, six minutes later, has Nate Lyons with the 85-yard punt return for a touchdown to make it 50-20, to Barry. Final score in favor of Barry, 67-34. My goodness. Huntington led 20-14, as I said, 39 unanswered by Barry from there. Uh, Josh Rogers, 11 rushes, 194 yards, two rushing touchdowns in the game. Then Wabash at Hampton, Sydney. We'll, we'll take it from the 14-14 tie at halftime because we got a lot to talk about in that second half. Third quarter, 10:58 left. Liam Thompson gets his 17-yard touchdown run to make it 21-14 in favor of Wabash. Ten minutes left, fourth quarter. It's Carter Sido with the 11-yard touchdown run for Hampton Sydney to tie the game up at 21 apiece. 
Fourth quarter, 4.23 left. Carter Sido with another touchdown run, this time from one yard out. Makes it 28-21 in favor of Hampton Sydney. 2.02 left though, it's Wabash's Derek Allen Jr. from Liam Thompson. A 16-yard touchdown pass makes it 28-27. And Liam Thompson and company decide they're going to go for two. They get it. It's 29-28 in favor of Wabash. But still, 118 left. A chance for Hampton Sydney. And you'll see here, fourth and three on their own 32-yard line is incomplete. That ends the game and gives Wabash the 29-28 victory. Liam Thompson, 283 total yards, two passing, one rushing touchdown. Uh, Game-winning two-point pass with 2.02 remaining in the game. JB, another thrilling game between Wabash and Hampton Sydney here and Region 3. Maybe not as many as exciting games, uh, at least uh, from the home stands of these games uh, perspective. But uh, nonetheless, some great stuff there, especially that Birmingham Southern McMurray game and Wabash Hampton Sydney. Yeah, in general, Region 3 was not super competitive this weekend. I mean, you saw two of the games that were down to one point. Those were fantastic. There were two other games. Um, Warner, which is, I think, a, a Christian university that took on Brevard and Hanover Center, which were uh, close games. Everything else, though, was pretty lopsided uh, kind of across the board. So not a ton of uh, competitive games in week one in Region 3, but I think we'll see some, some things turning and changing, particularly when we get um, some of these home games that the ASC, ODAC, and others start hosting. So um, let's go to Region 4. Let's go to Regions 4 through 6 here. And again, uh, this is a Region 3 team in Region 6. A lot of that going on this weekend. And we're going to start with what was the game of the week, honestly. Trinity at St. John's. Uh, we'll go into the second quarter, 434 left. It's Winston Hutchinson with a five-yard touchdown run for Trinity. It's 21-7 in favor of the Tigers at this point. Then third quarter, 526. It's Cole Monago with a 37-yard touchdown pass from Tucker Horn. That made it 28-14. Eventually, a field goal with 12.47 left in this game made it 31-14 Trinity. It all changed from there. Fourth quarter, 8.51 left. Uh, Marcelio Mendez with a 14-yard touchdown pass from Aaron Severson makes it 31-20. Still Trinity's lead. Trinity will punt after this uh, touchdown. 421 left St. John's. Again, Marcelio Mendez, a 32-yard touchdown pass from Aaron Severson. Makes it 31-28 with the two-point conversion pass. Good in this case. Trini's next offensive play is here, and it's Justin Carmouche. Ball spot on the far hash. Ford hands it off. And the ball's loose, and it's picked recovered by the Johnnies. The ball was stripped out of Carmouche's hands, and it bounced right into Noah Arneson's hands. Well, fast forward to 53 seconds left. Connor Murphy, a 24-yard field goal, ties the game at 31 apiece. But wait, Trinity's still with a chance. They gained 64 yards in three plays, including a spike to stop the clock. On first and goal from the six, this happens. Gets the snap on first and goal from the six. Looking to the right, looking, looking. He's under pressure, steps up in the pocket. He's going to try to run for it. And he falls the ball. The ball's loose, and it's picked up. Picked up by the Johnnies. They get the fumble recovery, and it was Zach Frank who got the recovery. My goodness. They could have kicked a field goal and won the game. Instead, we go to overtime. St. John's is forced to kick in their half of overtime. Connor Murphy, good from 35 yards out. It's now their lead, 34-31. Trinity. 
Tucker Horn does not go out for uh, their offensive set as he had leg cramps at that point in time. Ryan back. Game over. Game over. Game over. What a comeback. This is legendary. The fans are heading on the field. What a job by the Johnny. Ryan back was intercepted. Caden Saxon with that interception. Johnny's magic. That's all I can keep saying about it, folks. Johnny's magic wins this game again. 34-31, St. John's with the win. Tucker Horn, he was 28 for 32, 352 yards, two passing touchdowns. Aaron Severson, 24 for 33, 281 yards, four passing touchdowns. St. John's defense with two fumble recoveries, though, when it mattered most. Then, Whitewater at John Carroll. This was a heck of a game, too. 18 seconds left first half. Matthew Busser with a two-yard touchdown pass from Joe Collins gives John Carroll a 13-3 lead at halftime. Third quarter, 10-23 left. It's Whitewater's Stephen Hine with a 37-yard touchdown pass from Alec Ogden to make it 13-10 in favor of JCU. After a John Carroll field goal made it 16-10, it was a 46-yard touchdown run from Alec Ogden to give Whitewater the 17-16 lead in this game. 8.53 left fourth quarter, Lucas DiRazio gets a four-yard touchdown pass from Joe Collins, giving John Carroll back the lead, 23-20. Whitewater, 39 seconds left. Nick Wind, an 11-yard touchdown pass from Alec Ogden, gives Whitewater the 27-23 lead. With 39 seconds left, JCU gained 21 yards before this third and 10 play where it is Joe Collins getting intercepted by Thomas Wojnowski that ends the game in favor of Whitewater, 27-23. Again, JCU led 13-3 at the half. Ogden, 285 total yards, two passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. Joe Collins, three passing touchdowns, but two interceptions in the game. Then, Mary Harden-Baylor at River Falls. And we'll start in the first quarter, six minutes left. It's Mason Van Zielen with a six-yard touchdown pass to give his team a 14-0 lead. The Falcons were leading 14-0 here, folks. Second quarter, three minutes into it, it's Caleb Laha with a 10-yard touchdown run and a 28-3 lead. What is going on here? Two minutes later, it's Isaiah Randall for the Falcons. A 10-yard touchdown pass from Caleb Laha makes it 35-3 River Falls. We'll go to the fourth quarter, four minutes into it. Cade Fitzgerald, a six-yard touchdown run, 45-13. Final score in the game, 45-22 in favor of River Falls. Blaha, what a day, 23 for 35, 260 yards, three passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. UMHB's offense, minus five yards rushing, three different quarterbacks, more on this later. Finally, Mount St. Joseph versus Baldwin-Wallace. And in this game, the halftime score was 19-14, Mount St. Joseph in third quarter, seven minutes into it. Austin Brock, it's an 18-yard touchdown pass from Josh Taylor for Mount St. Joseph's lead to expand to 29-14. But 43 seconds into the fourth quarter, it's Jonah Schrock with a two-yard touchdown pass from Joey Morosik, making it 32-26 in favor of Mount St. Joseph as Baldwin Walls tries to narrow the lead. Seven minutes later, Mount St. Joseph's Caden Pollard with a 32-yard touchdown from Josh Taylor makes it 39-26. Baldwin Wallace won't be denied though here. A minute and a half later, it's Victor Ford Jr., a six-yard touchdown run for Baldwin Wallace to make the score 39-33. And finally though, Mount St. Joseph with 2.33 left. 
Gets a 60-yard touchdown pass from Joey Newton, uh, from Josh Taylor to Joey Newton, I should say, to make it 46-33, Mount St. Joseph, and that was the final score. Josh Taylor, 27 for 51 for Mount St. Joseph's, uh, 420 yards, six passing touchdowns on the day. Wow. Joey Morosik, 428 total yards, three passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, but three interceptions. JB, that Mount St. Joseph Ball and Wallace game, a good one. I mean, but uh, all these all these games on this slide, incredible games. And then there's others, too. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that's interesting about regions four through six is this is where you see some of the D3 versus D2, NAIA, FCS. And so we had a little bit of everything kind of sprinkled in there. We had some crazy offensive performances. I mean, obviously, the uh, Trinity St. John's game did not disappoint, unless, of course, you were a Tigers fan and you didn't understand some of the play calling at the end. Um, River Falls, really impressive. Blaha, it looks like he's a force to be reckoned with in the, in the WEAC, as is this new Alec Ogden, um, who, who got the game-winning you know, touchdown pass for the Warhawks to escape a, a close call there. But, yeah, elsewhere, I mean, lacrosse handled Dakota State, which is a – NIAI school and and so that's pretty impressive maybe we're we're still sleeping on on lacrosse um Platteville put up 80 points I remember we actually had that as one of our picks kind of feels silly that we <laughs> this like well they won by 67 and so I think that was a pretty safe bet um Wittenberg just narrowly edged Dubuque in an interesting game um out there in region four Illinois College wins big uh Oberlin Kalamazoo uh, with with the win there, 42 to 10. Elsewhere, we we saw St. John Fisher come up short against Marietta in one of the very rare, you know, kind of Region Two across the uh, country type of uh, games. Muskingum beat Farum from Region Three. Uh, Wilmington wins big. Mount Union winning, not a big surprise there. North Central uh, defeated a D2 school in Roosevelt pretty handily. The defending champs looked pretty solid. Elsewhere, I mean. You know, no, nothing really else sort of jumps out to me um, as sort of a surprise other than maybe this, you know, Claremont Mud Scripps Chicago score, Frank. Um, that was an interesting uh, Region 6 to Region 4 game that we saw there. Uh, and we also saw um, Wisconsin Eau Claire. The, the words were too long. You either have to, you know, shorten Concordia Moorhead or expand out Eau Claire. But that 31-28 game was pretty exciting. Stout beat um, another NIAA team. Oshkosh, seven touchdown passes from, from Kobe Berghammer, who did an awesome job on our show. We'll talk a little bit more about him coming up. And kind of further on down the line, Frank, you kind of see the last game. Chapman Pacific canceled um, in, in the third quarter. Kind of unusual that a game like that would just be called off as a no contest, but lightning delay, stuff happens. Uh, I guess they didn't want to resume the next day or whatever before I guess uh, Chapman had to fly back down to California. Anyway, they were winning 24 to nothing. Um, so if they do end up winning the Skyac, I guess they'll be 8-0. Well, first things first, before we end crunch time, I want you to repeat after me, N-A-I-A. N-A-I-A, got it. <laughs> I always mess that up. Every year, I always in. mess it That's up. That's all I've taught you. Okay, folks. Well, that is a lot of games in regions four through six. That's a lot of games, period. And that was crunch time for week one of the 2023 Division Three college football season. 
Okay, JB, it's time for JV's MVPs. And you just mentioned one of them at the very tail end of crunch time, and that would be Mr. Kobe Berghammer, who joined us on our Thursday yeah. live show. Yeah, I mean, there was only one other guy, uh, I believe it was um, the quarterback from Bluffton who had seven passing touchdowns on Saturday. There were lots of awesome uh, offensive performances. I mean, you know, Hunter Turbo from, from Wartburg with six rushing touchdowns. Uh, Cesar Gonzalez with 237-some-odd yards, a career day for Merchant Marine. But, I mean, seven passing touchdowns and, um, you know, playing against a team from Texas just sort of really pushed Kobe over the top. Uh, maybe I was a little biased because he was such a great interview on our uh, Thursday live show, but you yeah, had to go with, with Kobe for my offensive MVP for all those TD passes. The guy on the far right is someone that you spoke to, Frank, and you can check out Frank's uh, post-game interviews from Hopkins at Frank Rossi on X slash Twitter, whatever we call it now. But uh, junior linebacker Oliver Craddock in his first ever start all over the field for the Blue Jays. I think he finished with like 13 tackles, Frank. Um, just an impressive outing. I mean, I, I thought about maybe throwing it the way of the some of the St. John's defenders who came up with some of those big plays. Once again, I view that as more of a, of a coaching thing. Um, but I wanted to throw some, you know, love this guy's way because what a, what a primetime performance for him and a huge game between uh, two conference, you know, championship caliber teams. Well, Barry Vikings uh, in the special teams, I got to tell you, with uh, what we saw in crunch time was just an extraordinary job by them. <laughs> yeah, really. So uh, good job by uh, them uh, in that game. Uh, congratulations to all of our uh, JB MVPs. Uh, and uh, congratulations to me having a three-game lead to start the season. So, JB, we've uh, kind of looked through there, things here. Yeah, well, hey, breaks, uh, that's how it works, kid. Uh, you know what? Yeah. That's 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 the story. 12-2 and two isn't bad. I mean, let's face it, for a week where you don't know much about anything. Um, for instance, a St. John's game uh, in Trinity. That probably should have gone the other way. But this segment, uh, as yeah. we close out our Crunch Time show, is going to be called What Do We Learn in Week 1? And I'm going to start, and uh, let's see what you may have learned along the way. First, I'm going to say... Trinity belongs in the national discussion. I mean, for as much as the ending sucked for them, my goodness, they were dominating St. John's, a team that is still a very powerful Division III team. I don't care how you slice it. Aaron Severson's back. He's got a lot of his complimentary uh, players back. And so they should probably win the Mayak St. John's this season because Bethel is missing Rosti. We'll see what happens. But this team was up by 17 points with 12 minutes left and loses against a team like St. John's. Okay, but they were up by 17 points. And it tells you this, yes, this fifth-year senior-laden team belongs in the conversation. It took a loss, unfortunately, to maybe give an extra spotlight to this whole thing. But they belong. And I'm curious to see how this plays out in San Antonio when I go down and make good on my, what, months-old ticket at this point uh, to, to go down yeah. and see the Mary Hard Baylor game. That's what I learned. What did you learn on Saturday? Well, I think um, one of the things that I learned is that certain 
games and certain calls sometimes make sense and sometimes they don't. Um, you know, my alma mater played a game on Friday night and there were 10 personal foul calls against Hobart um, for a, a number of them were personal fouls. A, a player got ejected. Harmel got ejected in the a game against the Johnnies. Like, I think sometimes these, um, you know, these for week one is, is also kind of a thing for officials. You, you know very well, you know, having you know, been one in flag football, Frank, that that's not an easy job to just get thrown into, especially on these big stages. Uh, but it did feel like there were um, a lot more of those kind of personal foul, other sort of extracurricular penalties happening um, in, in certain key situations. And so something to keep an eye on. Maybe teams might need to want to dial it back a little bit. You know, <laughs> I'm not sure. You, know, you, you want to be aggressive. But on one hand, you know, you sometimes, you know, the uh, got to try to kind of clean it up. There, were a lot of, there was a lot of laundry this weekend, I think. Here's what I learned also. I, I think uh, Johns Hopkins and Ithaca both are going to drop games in their respective conferences, I think, this season. Uh, Ithaca should not have lost that game by the margin they were losing at certain points in that game. Uh, they've got too much talent back on that team. So I begin to wonder what happened in that game. And I talked to our friend Dan, uh, Dan Swanstrom over at Penn a little bit to compare notes with him. He gave me some good insights from uh, what he saw of the game. Mm. He was able to watch a little bit of it. And more or less, okay. it was kind of a finesse uh almost a strategy game of Johns Hopkins that he found to be the real winner of that game. That essentially they, their finesse and strategy wins when they didn't have necessarily the personnel they needed to probably win the game 100% straight up in that situation. Bay Harvey, fresh as a starter. Uh, you know, you've got mm. Craddock as a junior leading the tackle charts in his first start. You've got Cole Crotty as a freshman. Yeah. Okay. So maybe they have the talent, but they don't have necessarily the consistency out in the field to prove that fact. And yet they win this game in a battle of, you know, teams that are nationally ranked for good reason. And you say to yourself, this is really interesting. But I have a feeling a team like Muhlenberg can beat Hopkins this season with what they have back. And by the time we get to that game, I don't think Hopkins is going to be surprising anybody if they were surprising anyone coming into this weekend in the first place. So... I just I believe that we've learned Ithaca's got some issues. Hobart may nip them this year, or RPI may nip them this year. As uh, Coach Swanstrom yeah. said, to beat Union and RPI in Hobart is tough every year, or at least the three teams out of the four that you have to play between Ithaca, RPI, Hobart, and Union, it's just really tough to do it, to beat each of those uh, teams that you need to beat to run the table, essentially, in the Liberty League. Same thing goes for the Centennial. It's not going to be easy versus a team like Muhlenberg. You know it, I know it, and I look forward probably to going to that game when it gets played later on this season. What else did you learn? Anything else? Well, I think kind of what you were saying with Ithaca and Hopkins might be also true with uh, with Whitewater. I mean, they needed to go to the wire with John Carroll, who is a great program. I mean, you know, they, they haven't been in the playoffs in a couple of years. I mean, they, Mount Union is a big reason for that, obviously, and and there's you know even less um, you know pool C bids going into this year, so that's a that's a tough one. But um, you know the way River Falls has looked, uh, the way Oshkosh has looked. I mean, maybe Whitewater isn't the you know the king of the hill. And now as we also talked about in the ASC, I mean, 
Mary Harden Baylor looked very average. Um, and so if you're a Harden Simmons fan, you have to be sitting back like maybe this is finally, you know, 20 years in the waiting. Like this is our chance to finally get by these guys. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait on. and see. Not, not just Harden Simmons. If Howard Payne faces Amir Harden Baylor Payne, like what we saw yeah. on Saturday, Howard yeah. Payne wins that game. Hands down. I mean, yeah. so they are susceptible right now. And, you know, between – if I offered you two teams right now, if I said you can either take Trinity or Mary Harden Baylor right now, which team would you rather be kind of in front of to scoop up the most Ws this season right now? Oh, I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, Trinity clearly looks like a national championship contender. They never should have lost that game to St. John's. I'll still, I'll, I will die on that hill. I will say that that was just a, a major botching. I don't know if it, you know, you put it on Urban for some of his calls. You put it on some of the, I don't know. It's just one of those things that just, it was a series of bad luck, what have you. But yeah, that was a game that they should have won. Um, they had a chance to win and they blew it, honestly. Um with you know, with a play call when they should have taken a knee and just kicked a short field goal and, and gotten the hell out of there, uh, there's no there's no excuse there. But they clearly showed that they can go on the road in a very hostile environment and perform amazingly well for about three and a half quarters. They just have to get that last few minutes buttoned up, and they could be a stag bowl champion. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting season. I, I, what I really do see happening right now is that Mount Union and North Central seem to be separating from the pack right now. Uh, and uh, yeah. Wheaton may be the only thing that can prevent it against North Central from happening completely. And John Carroll might be the only one that can prevent it in terms of Mount Union from separating completely from the pack by the end of this season. John Carroll has a heck of a team the way they played on Saturday. Whether or not yeah. Whitewater is strong... Yeah, I mean, look, Whitewater had a dud against Aurora to end their season last year and almost tripped out of the starting gate this year. So your point's well taken. But when you look at the cream of the crop right now, the cream really only seems to be with two teams. If I had to really give that cream you know, classification, Mount Union and North Central, the two teams that took us to a, a thrilling stag bowl yeah. last year. And remember when we asked the question uh, about a month ago, Will we have a repeat matchup in the Stag Bowl? The answer basically came back as at least one of the teams from about 70-plus percent of the respondents. But a, a good chunk of people did say it would be a repeat yeah. matchup. I, I, I think right now we're heading for a collision me. course even after one week of that to, for that to happen. We'll see. Yeah. So... JB, we're going to obviously have uh, another show at some point this week. We'll get you the information exactly when and where you'll be able to watch week it. It's preview. preview week two. But uh, you'll want to come back for that. I, again, we'll not be live on Friday morning because I will be flying at that point in time down to San Antonio for a battle of 0-1 teams, JB. That's not something we foresaw me saying coming into this, but battle of 0-1 matters a lot here because... These two teams yeah. at eight and two technically could still get into the playoffs if they were to lose their conference for some reason. Eight and two for Trinity, especially, but eight and two for also Mary Hart and Baylor could get them in. Unlike some of the teams that are out there playing kind of nobodies that could finish nine and one, 
you got to give the edge yeah. to these eight and two teams ultimately, or these potential eight and two teams if they don't win their conference. Uh, that being Trinity, uh, Mirahorn, Baylor, et cetera, out there. Even uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. It's a good game they played against uh, John Carroll. A, a good reach game for yeah. them, and vice versa for John Carroll. So, you know what? There is another entryway for those teams. Thanks to playing good, strong games in week one, Mirahorn Baylor's result could hurt them a little bit, but we'll talk more about that another day. Parting shots for week one, though, my friend. Go ahead. No, it was just great to be um, back out there. I mean, uh, I loved the uh, the game at MIT, even though it wasn't one of the you know the national games of the week. It was just fun to see uh, these young guys out there, you know, giving it them their all. Um, you know, the, the staff there at, in Cambridge couldn't have been nicer, and um, it was great to be in the end zone shooting video and just kind of running up and down the field trying to keep up with this back-to-back score. Um, you know, and I, I had a Frank Rossi moment when I saw the, the replay of the, the highlights of the game from MIT. I could see myself in the end zone. I was like, hey, it's, normally that's me you know, noticing you like at the Hopkins replay and all that stuff. But I got a chance to get out there and it was really fun. And I hope uh, we get to do that uh, together at least once, maybe a couple times a season. So I'm excited about the, this thing's getting kicked off. I mean, we, we sort of think we know how the thing's going to end, but there's still a lot more football to be played. 14 more weeks. Lots of things could happen. It's going to be a fun ride. Technically 15 because uh, week 16 is the stag bowl uh, with all the buys and everything. So Fair enough. It's a long road yeah. to go here. But, again, we, we start seeing tendencies. We start seeing trends with teams that we've seen before. And then we see a lot of anomalies that we didn't ever uh, really see before. Trinity is one of the anomalies in so far as the, where did they come from over the last three to four years. And now they're cementing themselves into a legitimate annual you know, episode to watch essentially here. Uh, even when Tucker Horn and company graduate, they're laying a foundation there, it seems like, to be a strong team in Southern Texas. We'll see whether or not they're able to solidify that next year. But first things first, they got a lot of football to play in San Antonio and elsewhere this season. Here we go. Season one or season 16 for us is underway with week one. We'll see you on Friday morning, most likely, in a uh, recorded uh, show that would normally be live to preview week two. Have a great rest of the week, folks.